Okay, today I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word. Thank you, Carrie. Every year um, around Easter time, we take a special offering for the diaconate. And as you've heard um, from Jerry and from Lori, today is Diaconate Sunday. The reason for this is um, many people don't know what the diaconate is. What is a diaconate? It's a strange word, weird name. What is a deacon? What do deacons do with the money that we give them? Well, um, today is all about finding that out. We're actually going to take a special offering next Sunday, and so this Sunday is a preparation for that. Since Christmas, we've been looking at the book of Acts, the history book of the church. And it tells the story of the growth of the early church, and it tells the origins of the diaconate. So it's a great place to, to go look for what diaconates are all about. But first, what is the book of Acts? If you go to the beginning of the New Testament, you'll see there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Eyewitness accounts from the apostles. Anecdotes that they shared with the early church about the Jesus that they knew. Stories about what he did, what he said, about how he taught with parables about the miracles he performed. They spent three years with him, and they were, so they were filled with stories about their experiences, and that is what the first four Gospels are all about, a record, a written record of those direct experiences. But then after the Gospels, you get the Book of Acts. In the Book of Acts, essentially the actions or the acts of the apostles tells you what happened next. After this incredible encounter with Jesus, after he had recruited and trained the apostles, after he had gone to the cross and then been resurrected and then returned to the Father, what happened next? How did the apostles respond? How did people in Jerusalem respond? Well, the first thing they did was study scripture, just scripture, just as Jesus told them to. And he said, study and wait. Because in 50 days, I'm going to send my spirit on you. And of course, at Pentecost, 50 days later, 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends in power on the apostles. And they are filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak all the languages of the world. A reversal of Babel, a preparation for the gospel to go out into all the peoples and nations of the world. And Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, preaches the first Christian sermon, and 3,000 people are trend, uh, become Christians immediately. An amazing sermon. 3,000 are converted from one sermon. And those people begin to meet in each other's homes, and they begin to pray, and they begin to study the apostles' teaching, the four Gospels. They begin to develop a distinctive fellowship called koinonia, the respect that reflects the relationship in God himself, in the three persons of the Trinity. They begin to take care of each other. And there is explosive growth. The church explodes in Jerusalem. It begins to be noticed. The leaders begin to respond and challenge and get upset. And then we get to this passage, Acts 6, that tells you the response of the church to this explosive growth. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, this is talking about the people who are responding to the gospel and are becoming Christians, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. By the way, that word, distribution, the English word distribution, is a translation of the Greek word diakonoi. And as I go through this passage, I'm going to point out where this word is used because it helps us understand what diakonoi means and who deacons are. So it's exciting to be part of an exploding movement, of an exploding church. When I became a Christian, um, gosh, 20 plus years ago, in Manhattan at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, when I first went, there were about 100 people there, about the size of our church. And it began to explode. And I went off to seminary, and by the time I got back, it was up around 1,500 people. And while I was there, it broke through 3,000, and it was heading towards 4,000. And now I think it's seven, 8,000, goodness knows how many people. It is heady stuff to be part of such a movement. And it's exciting, but it's also exhausting. Every time you get bigger, the people inside the church, the people who are making things happen, they have to provide more food and more chairs and bigger spaces and do more printing and create more groups and support systems and directories. and It's just endless. And it was striking how often we just, as a staff, had to just leave the church, go away on a retreat somewhere, get all the busyness out of our heads and the craziness and all the problems, and just learn to recognize the beauty of what was happening around us. This beautiful church was growing in the middle of the city, but we, in the middle of it, the doers, the workers, could barely see it because we were working so hard. Well, that was what was happening in the early church. <clears throat> Try finding a space in the ancient world for 3,000 people. And that was just the first day. They must have been running. They must have been working like dogs, 
running around, talking, teaching, helping. It's a problem. It's a good problem. Everybody should have such problems, right? But it's a challenge. What are we going to do? And what seems to have been happening here, you see there's a distinction. Judaism had spread beyond uh, Jerusalem and the Promised Land, beyond Palestine, to all around the Roman Empire. There were synagogues in all the major cities of the Roman Empire. They had a special dispensation from the Romans, so they were allowed to worship and build synagogues. And so you had this, what's called a diaspora. You had a distribution or a, a spreading of Judaism all around the Roman Empire. And they were much more cosmopolitan. They grew up outside of Jerusalem. They typically spoke Greek, which is why they're called Hellenistic. That means Greek speakers. And so they were sort of the city slickers from around the empire. And they had come back to Jerusalem for Passover, and that's where this new phenomenon was happening, this, this, these Christian uh, Jews. And so you had Hellenistic Jews, but also Hebraic Jews. That is, people from Jerusalem, people from Israel, who either spoke Hebrew or could read Hebrew, or more typically Aramaic, which was the language of Jesus, a sort of um, a Greek, uh, a form of Hebrew that is closer to Greek. And they're noticing a difference. Widows are not being taken care of. And that's significant because throughout the Bible, God says, take care of the widows. Take care of poor people. Take care of sick people. Take care of the destitute. But always widows. Because in that time and place, that was a special category. Women were not allowed to own land and property uh, unless there were extraordinary circumstances. They were part of the elite. And so when a husband died, everything went to his brother or to his family, and the widow, his wife, was left destitute. And there's pretty much nothing that she could do. There was no business back then. If you didn't have property, if you didn't have land, you can set up a business or anything. Basically, there was prostitution, or you became a beggar. It was not a good place to be a widow. And so throughout the Bible, God says, always take care of the widows. That will be the sign that you're a caring community. And they're squabbling about some um, of the uh, visitors, some of the people who, who lived outside Israel and were coming into Israel, were not being taken care of the way the locals were. So what to do? So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, so that's the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait diaconine on tables. So they've seen the problem. The daily distribution, the daily diaconoi, is not being distributed fairly, and somebody needs to oversee it. Now they're running at full speed. Thousands of people asking them about Jesus. They're teaching and sharing God's word. And so they recognize that it would be a false priority to shift their attention from teaching God's word 
to this other ministry, the distribution, the diaconoi. Not because it's secondary, it is important. Not because there's some kind of hierarchy of work within the Christian church. But rather here you have the idea of honoring one's call, prioritizing what God calls you to do, and not being distracted by secondary things. One of my first bosses in the, the church, he was a Harvard MBA, and he always used to like to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't be distracted. Don't let secondary things siphon away your energy. Keep your focus on what's important. And that's essentially what they're saying here. So what are they going to do? Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry diaconoi of the word. Diaconoi is used not just on serving food, but also on serving or preaching or proclaiming God's word. So what do we learn there? <clears throat> First of all, they're showing that they've read the Bible. If you go back to the book of Exodus, the story of how Moses led Israel out to the promised land, there were thousands of them. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Hebrew slaves. And Moses was by himself. And it was killing them. They came to him with all their problems. They wanted him to solve all their disputes. They wanted him to lead them in everything. And it was killing him. And so, his brother-in-law Jethro says, divide Israel up into tens and hundreds and thousands, and appoint leaders over them. Delegate. Give other people responsibility and have them be about the business of resolving disputes and solving problems. You don't have to do it all by yourself. And so the apostles here show that they've read the Bible. They follow the example. They delegate. They are recognizing their own call and the priority that Jesus placed on them as personal witnesses of what he did to continue to be witnesses, to continue to talk about Jesus. But they're also recognizing that within the broader church, the priesthood of believers, there are other roles and responsibilities. There are other leaders, other people of talent, can do things to advance the kingdom. You don't have to do it all by yourself. By the way, this is uh, something that all church planters need to learn. When a church starts, typically there's nobody but the founding pastor, and there's no structure, there's no ministries, there's no elders, there's no deacons, there's no nothing. And there is a tendency for the uh, founding pastor to try to do everything, to work himself ragged, trying to solve every problem, answer every phone call and every email, put out the chairs, put out the food and drink, do the sermon, do the PowerPoint, everything. And that's why a lot of church planners blow up and fail. They just burn out after two or three years. You can do it for a year. It's fun. But if you keep on doing it year after year, it'll kill you. And so delegation, confidence that God will provide 
people to do the things that you cannot do is essential in church planning. <clears throat> By the way, we're talking about this right now in our, in our session. I'd like to highlight Gary Lawrence, the beautiful Gary Lawrence, who created out of nothing a children's ministry to rival any that I've ever seen anywhere. It's because of him, not because of me. What do I know about children? God provided in his infinite wisdom Gary Lawrence, and it is a beautiful thing. Never, ever go past Gary Lawrence without at least smiling at him. And that's the way the church should work. You loved that, didn't you? <laughs> when I say the priesthood of all believers, that's what should come to mind, Gary Lawrence. The church is not one person. It is not one professional person doing and everybody else consuming. A healthy church is filled with Christians, ordinary Christians, recognizing that they are extraordinary because God has called them into his church. And that they're there for a reason. And that they have talents and skills. They, are, they see things that other people don't. They have access to networks and resources that nobody else knows about. And as they join the church, become members, as we saw Sam and Doug do today, and bring those skills and resources and networks, and more than that, don't just bring them, but begin to use them and express them and share them, that is how a church grows. That's how you can have ministries that take care of everybody. The sign of a healthy church is not the quality of the superstar preacher. The sign of a healthy church is how many people in that church are themselves leaders. How many of them are at least experimenting with ministry, looking and trying out different things to see what they're good at, what God might have brought them there for. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timion, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. By the way, I haven't been able to find out why seven. You know, there were 12 disciples, 12 apostles, because there were 12 tribes of Israel. But why seven deacons? I think somehow seven in uh, the Hebrew Bible is considered the perfect number. It's also the number of days in the week that God created where we should work. So I think there's some connection there. Seven days, seven days of work, but who knows. But they choose a group. And notice, it's all about faith and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They don't just go out and hire a bunch of laborers. This is not work as it is understood outside the church. This is spiritual work. This is spiritual service. This is service that honors God and his call in our life. And they lay on hands and bless them. And they pray for them. Now, I've, I've said this before. I don't think anything happens in the church without prayer. I don't think a person becomes a Christian without prayer. I don't think a person becomes a member of a church without prayer. 
I don't think anybody grows inside the church unless people are praying for that person. I don't think our ministries, who we are as Christians, begins to develop unless the Holy Spirit and our prayers work together and that person grows. And that's what they are beginning as they choose these seven. So what does what is a deacon? What does diaconoi mean? Well, notice it's used three times in this passage. Verse 1. Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution, the daily diaconoi of food. So it's about service of food or resources. It's about taking care of people's needs about feeding hungry people, about taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. So it has this notion of distribution or of service of giving. Verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait to diaconine on tables. So it's not service in some abstract sense. It's personal, direct service. When you serve a table, you hand food and place it in front of a person, or you place it into their hand. Much more likely back then is they were distributing bread, and they were distributing other resources as they brought them in, and they were passing them out in the city toward the widows. So distribution, serving, direct service. But it's also used in verse 4. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry and the diaconai of the word. Preaching, speaking, sharing the word of God with other people, it's the same act. So this is giving God's things to people who do not have them. That's what you're serving. Food, of course. Things that sick people need. Shelter and clothing, no doubt. But giving to, giving the things of God to those who don't have it. And that's the purpose of our diaconate. Our diaconate is made up of men and women commissioned by the elders to serve the needs of the people in this church. And because, let's face it, most of the people in our church are relatively wealthy, typically it's not about food. It's about counseling. It's a help, about helping people in transitions, difficult relationships, difficult marriages, difficult situations with jobs, helping people out with rent or with counseling. It's about coming alongside people whose lives are disorderly and distressed, and providing truth, providing stability, providing at least one place in the life that is orderly, because it is of God. It's shining a light into darkness and disorder in a consistent, loving, and generous way, not taking advantage, but sharing what you personally have received from God, which is why prayer is essential. I always tell new deacons, because I've, I've been watching deacons for 20 plus years now, 
And there's a certain kind of deacon who's full of joy and energy and serving God, and they come across a person who's got problems, and they jump into that person's life, and they're going to fix everything. Well, some people want you to fix everything, and they'll quite happily let you pay their rent and search for a job and fix their relationship problems and take care of their cat and wash their dishes and clean their clothes and choose a career and help them make progress in their relationship with their spouse, and they'll just sit back and watch you do it. And eventually, such a person burns out. And deacons, I've experienced, ebb and flow, and diaconates ebb and flow. The best recognize their limitations. And I always say to deacons, you should always work in pairs so that you can take care of each other. And you should always start with something small that you can do consistently over a period of time. Become the point of stillness and order amid the chaos in somebody's life. And pray. Because deacons are not saviors. They're just like the rest of us. But they have access to the Savior. And that fundamentally is what they're sharing. So they need to be men and women of faith. Men and women of constant prayer, of humility, but also of compassion. Look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why priests? Why should this have been so powerful in the life of priests? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, there's basically a division among God's people among three categories, prophet, priest, and king. And it was a job of the priests, and it was a job, they worked supported by the temple, to distribute to the poor, to the widows, to the destitute, to the sick, money. That's what the temple tax for was for. The temple tax received money in the temple, and the priests distributed it. And the food that was sacrificed at the temple, the priests distributed it. And when somebody was sick, there's a whole disgusting chapter in Leviticus about what you should do if you're sick and skin diseases and oozing pustulences. You go to the priests. They were the doctors, the social workers, the caretakers, the distributors of food. They were the ones who recognized that you cannot have a relationship with a holy God and not take care of people. Because God commands it again and again and again and again. And the priests knew it. That's why they were priests. And when they saw the early church doing the same, they recognized the God who was behind the Christians. And that's why they joined. Because they saw the same attention and care they saw people taking care of each other. There's a wonderful book by Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity. I read it back in the 90s. He's a historian, and he tries to explain why the Christian church exploded so quickly around the Roman Empire until by 400 AD, it was the, it was the religion of Rome. How did that happen? this small group of oppressed people in Jerusalem suddenly taking over an empire. And there are many historical reasons, and he goes through them, 
But one of them, and he thinks one of the main ones, is exactly this fact. The way that Christians took care of each other. The way they took care of not just their own, but they took care of their neighbors. Back in the ancient world, cities and and, uh, towns were small. Very narrow roads, incredibly crowded, no sanitation, no water purification, no understanding of microbes or disease. You didn't have a bathroom in your house. Everything went out on the street. It was filthy and disgusting. And plagues and infections were common. At different times, plagues swept through the ancient world, killing huge percentages of the population. And they were a recurring terror for people in the ancient world. And typically, when they came, there was nothing to be done. And so the rich and the people who could afford it left the towns and the villages, and they went to their country estates, or they went out into the country. Only the poor were left behind, or the the ones that couldn't get out. And the plague killed them in the thousands and tens of thousands, a recurring nightmare. But one group stayed behind as people died. One group stayed behind and took care of its own people and took care of neighbors, and that was the Christians. Now, surely all of them didn't. I'm sure some of them ran away. But many of them didn't, and enough stayed behind that through basic sanitation, just taking care of people, washing them, cleaning their clothes, giving them food and water regularly, just basic care, basic decency, kept more Christians alive than non-Christians and kept more neighbors of Christians alive than ones who lived in other parts of the city. And so that they developed a reputation. The Christians don't run away. The Christians take care of each other. The Christians have compassion. If you've got a problem, go to the Christians. Not rockin' science, just care and presence and basic decency to share what you have. And that, Rodney Stark argues, is what caused the explosion of Christianity. Now, many of you know, I was just in Cuba. Exactly the same thing is happening there. The church I stayed at in Havana, the pastor there, Apache, noticed that around the church there were widows who didn't have enough to eat because the communist government gives a stipend to everybody, but it's very, very small, and it's not enough to live on, and nobody was taking care of the widows. And so the church committed to feeding 50 widows that lived closest to the church. They uh, started a farm outside Havana to, to get food. It's very hard to get good food inside Havana. They actually applied to the communist government to import rice from America so they could distribute it. And what's amazing is the woman who had to approve that application, she's communist. She is the head of the Communist Office for Religious Affairs in Havana. What an oxymoron that is, right? And she, she did approve it with a proviso that they had to give a certain proportion of the rice to the military. And so they did that, and they kept on feeding these widows. And it impressed her so much 
that now she is asking Apache for prayers for her family. And she approves all the visas that they want, is the reason I was able to go there. And they are approving using buildings and having open worship services. Because whatever else you say or do, if you start taking care of people, if you reveal God's love and compassion, it's going to melt people's hearts. There's no defense against that. There's no argument against that. It's so rare that when you see it, you know something's going on. And that's how the church began. And that's what our diaconate is all about. Christianity is not just thinking. It's not just faith. It's doing. It's expressing God's love in action to each other and to our neighbors. And when you put the two together, there you have a church, a church community. There you have the body of Christ. There you have the full gospel being revealed. And it melts people. It causes spiritual awakenings and explosions. And that's why we try to do it.